Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm, the absolute best and easiest way to host your podcast and get paid for it by running ads just like these. And take it from me, I've hosted at least seven of my podcasts on Anchor.fm. I recommend it to every show on our network. And other hosts are going to charge you upwards of $100 every year just to run your podcast on their host. Anchor.fm does it for free. So go check out Anchor.fm for more information. The Cyberpunk Lorecast is now brought to you by our awesome patrons at patreon.com slash cyberpunk lorecast. Everyone who supports the show gets episodes early and an ad-free experience. Plus, it's pay what you want. It starts at $3 a month, and you can pay more if you'd like. Go check it out, patreon.com slash cyberpunk lorecast. Robots Radio presents... The Cyberpunk... Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast, where style is just as important as substance. Welcome to the podcast where we explore the lore, news, and gameplay of the cyberpunk games and other dystopian worlds. I'm your host, Robots. You all remember Richard Nixon's resignation, right? How he came on camera in front of the great seal of the United States of America and said he was resigning. And then, at the end of the speech, he pulled out that small, black handgun and blew his brains out on television. This is how the section about the data crash in the Cyberpunk version 3 book begins. And I love the flavor text. You've probably noticed that from some of the other episodes and the things that I've read out from some of these books. The way this stuff is written is in some ways timeless. And its pacing is really interesting. If you haven't gotten your hands on any of these cyberpunk manuals and read through the flavor text, the world building, do yourself a favor. Go pick one of these up and spend an evening immersing yourself in the world of cyberpunk. As I mentioned on a previous episode, Mike Pondsmith noted that cyberpunk is a warning. It's not something for us to strive towards. This world is a warning about what could potentially happen should dark powers, terrible people, our own worst inclinations get the best of us. And he paints a world, he and the other writers paint a world in these books that is built around details that very well could happen or could have happened. Our reality, of course, diverges, or I should maybe say the cyberpunk reality diverges from our own in some fundamental ways. But they're not too far from the potential of the way the world could go. With things that are happening in the world today, with how crazy everything has gotten, how extreme everyone is, how ridiculous some of the situations our country has gone through, this is a warning. 
This is a warning about what could happen and ways not to react. So today's episode, I'm going to take you through the data crash. I've already mentioned the fourth corporate war. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back, listen to the fourth corporate war. I will be going in in more detail in the future about the different corporations, how they came to be, their leaders, their influence on the world, what they're actually doing, what seem to be their goals in this world of cyberpunk. But before I do that, I want to give you some more background on what was going on in the world that led to this dark future. We're going to be spending a lot of time. If you haven't played the tabletop RPG, I recommend it. Find somebody who has or get some manuals and try running a game yourself. But for the majority of you, I have a feeling that video games are probably more your style. And come November... When Cyberpunk 2077 comes out, and yes, if you haven't heard yet, it has been delayed again. It's been pushed back to November, so we're still getting it this year, just a few months later than we expected. And I discussed this on one of my videos, so if you you want to see my feelings and thoughts about what's going on with that, then go check out the Robots Radio YouTube channel. You can look up the video about the delay. It's it's easy to find on my channel. But come November, we're going to be spending a lot of time in this world. And everything that I know about Cyberpunk 2077 leads me to believe that this will be a very immersive world, a very immersive simulation full of thousand plus NPCs with their own daily routines and personalities. So let me take you through some more of these details and and let me read through this section of the data crash in the volume three, because I think it's so well written. So it goes on and says, or maybe you remember how he came on camera and announced that he was going down. Everyone was going down with him and that he'd just triggered the launch codes to the U.S. nuclear missiles. OK, how about when he came on camera and said, You don't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. And he dropped trow on national television, mooning America from sea to shining sea. Chances are you don't remember any of those moments. And that's because in the history you studied, Richard Nixon came on the air and resigned with a minimum of fuss. But what if something changed that history? Enter the data crash. So it goes on and explains that the data crash was a computer virus, a particularly, quote, pervasive and nasty computer virus, which created links between data stored on millions of computers. It was created by the insane, the anti-socially insane yet brilliant hacker, Rach Bartmus, and inserted into the fabric of the, as it puts it here, worldwide computer net. This virus was deceptively simple. Hide, seek, and swap. So it's, it's actually pretty brilliant here. The first step is that it hides, and it details in this document, and of course this document's a little bit dated, so the fact that it references a one megabyte long file is a little funny for today's computer usage, but it says here, For example, there was a file in computer A called Aunt Mary's Recipes that was one megabyte long and a file on computer B called Master Plan to Overthrowing America 
and that was also a one megabyte long file. Data Crash would exchange the contents of both files, but retain the same headers. And of course, it would keep them the same size because they were already the same size. So, and it goes on with the example here, the next time Seburo Arasaka, who we're going to talk about in a future episode, opened up Master Plan to Overthrow America, which is a wonderful title for a document. I, I can't imagine somebody actually naming a document that, but I'm sure somebody has at some point, right? Um, he would find a really great recipe for Aunt Mary's chocolate chip cookies instead. Meanwhile, the formula for an Arasaka mind control device would now be lurking like a toad in a suburban housewife's cooking database. Lurking like a toad. Some of the flavor text in this is great. I, I told you, <laughs> I mentioned that before. So step two, show. Data Crash was also designed to level the playing field by locating secret data and exposing it to others, right? So that's basically what this is doing, is it's digging through secret data and merging or swapping it with other data that isn't secret. For example, most of the megacorps kept extensive files on covert operations and other dirty tricks. Data Crash would note files with secure headers, read the file contents, and drop copies of that file to every single name mentioned in the files. It was taking and distributing the information to the people noted in those files. Since many of these covert ops involved subverting government agencies or corporate rivals, you can guess how popular this aspect of Data Crush was. So basically, it's taking that covert information and distributing it, distributing it to everybody, anybody mentioned in those files, including the very people who were targeted by that information. And step three is swap. Data Crash was also programmed to substitute altered files for similar ones. So here's the example. There were lots of copies of the MPEG file for the Nixon resignation but they all had the same basic header. So Data Crash would seek out any video file with Richard Nixon in the title and a certain number of them substitute a digitally altered file in its place. Data Crash also did this with text documents, sound files, and even digitally stored blueprints. So what was the point of all this? Well, Rach's intent was to make information totally free. By making it purely subjective, taking out the objectivity of information, because once you swap all that information, once you share it all around, and once you substitute and alter information, then nobody can be sure of what it is exactly that they're looking at, ever. There'd be no way to hoard the information because all the information would just be out there. Multiple people would have access to the same information and anything that this virus came across that was supposed to be confidential was out in the public. And there'd be no way to lock it up because this system would distribute anything it found to so many sources that the information would be out there. Quote, there would be no lock on the truth since there would be a million versions of the truth. In a sick, twisted kind of way, it was the ultimate postmodern act of freedom. Now think about this. I, I don't know how many of you have studied philosophy, postmodernism. The, the idea that reality is subjective and getting to objective reality is impossible permeates a lot of postmodern writing 
an art philosophy. It's a struggle that religion has had with our postmodern society. This idea that your perception of the world and my perception of the world are fundamentally different, that if there is an objective reality out there, that we are looking through individual different lenses simply because we're looking through different eyes, but even more complex because we're looking through different mental and psychological lenses on the world. Our expectations are coloring what we're seeing, our fears, our hopes, the things that we believe, the things that we hold true to ourselves fundamentally. All of these things color this potentially objective reality if that exists out there which means that we are all having subjective experiences truth for you may not be truth for me so when this happens with a data system across the net in a way that hacks into swaps distributes and even substitutes data and specific information so completely, you have no way of tracing what the original document was. All evidence of any previous version of these documents is changed. There's no going back. There's no save file you can go back to and reload. The whole world is now subjective. There's a quote here from Reach that says, when the IGTAs, which stands for Ihara Grub Transformation Algorithms, were downloaded, and after about 10 hours, the net was fully transformed, and everyone sheepishly plugged back in. Me, I just stayed jacked in for the whole show. It was really incredible to watch the entire net get redesigned. So, Rach's interaction, plans, activities did not end here. He was doing more. He wasn't just releasing this virus onto the world. He was actually infiltrating the, the Dark Crash code right into the IG transformations that would run the net using backdoors, hacking in. And here's, here's how he did it. He made it look like, and get this, a hentai anime porn file. Whereas most viruses have to infect a computer system, it says here that the data crash was automatically loaded into every single computer that ever ran the net, period. Quote, the result is that there was never any chance to stop the spread of the data crash. It was as if every copy of Windows, and it says here, an ancient and obsolete operating system of the 1990s had been coded with a virus built in. So by the time... Magnificent Curtis, who was the head of the worldwide cybercop org, Data Watch, found out about the truth of Data Crash. It was too late. The process was already underway. And the only way to stop it would be to strip the operating system out of every computer on the planet. There was no way to, to stop the spread. It was already too far and it was baked in to every system out there running Windows. But that didn't mean that NetWatch didn't try. During the middle of the Fourth Corporate War, they worked as hard as they could to contain and negate the data crash. But the battle was futile. 
And at first, the battle was a secret, but eventually it wasn't. So while the data was getting swapped at a rate so fast that Netwatch could barely track it and could do very little to prevent it at all, in late 2022, the rabbits started to appear. Now, what are rabbits? Rabbits are roving autonomous Bartmos interface drones. They are killer AI programs. And get this, they're designed to resemble Rach Bartmos, who at this point has passed away because they were created as his last, quote, thumb in the eye to his corporate enemies. Now, the Rabbids began with targeting corporate enemies, Arisaka, EBM, but it was an AI. It was powerful, it was ubiquitous, and homicidal in a very similar way to Bartmos himself. And without Bartmos around to rein in this AI program, then it continued to evolve. It evolved a murderous hatred of anyone it encountered in the net, and it also reproduced extremely quickly. It created a deadly pack of killer programs numbering in the hundreds of thousands, which roved around the net looking for things to annihilate. And this was the last straw. Netwatch was completely overwhelmed. Not only could it not keep up with the data crash, but now with killer rabbits running around the internet, destroying things wantonly, there was nothing they could do. They had to give up. And on March 5th of 2023, Magnificent Curtis and the IG Overwatch Council activated IGTA Disillusion Prime, propagating a code wave that crashed the IG protocols. The net was dead. All right, stay tuned, cyberpunks. I will be back after this message, and we'll find out what happens next. Myth is a podcast about the very soul of humanity. Join me each week as I explore stories from our history, from our mythologies, about what it means to be human. I'm your host, Tom, and Myth is available on every podcatcher, anywhere. And if you're familiar with any of my other work, then you might realize that Myth is like a lore cast, but for humans. Join me each week on Myth. Hey there, cyberpunks. Thanks for tuning in again. I'm your host, Tom, or Robots. I go by Robots on the Internet. I am the host of this cyberpunk lorecast show and the guy who runs the Robots Radio Network. And as always, thank you for tuning into this episode. Things are going awesome in the world of thanks to you all. Things are going awesome in the world of podcasting. We have a new review on Apple Podcasts, which says awesome. This is by Kate Kate underscore HD from Germany. Welcome to our German friends. How's it going? Uh, Five stars and Kite. Oh, I said Kate Kite HD. Kite says the podcast summarizes the latest news very precise and compact. The insight into the lore is well researched. Thank you for a very matter of fact 
review that helps people understand what the show is about and what I'm doing here. That really does help. So there are lots of different ways you can help me keep doing the show because this is something I work on in my extra time. I have I do a number of shows on the network. I run the network, but I'm not quite at the point where I'm doing all of this full time. I'm kind of splitting my time between my regular job and working on all these podcasts and growing the network. So if you want to help me make sure that I can keep making content, then there are many different things you can do. Leave a rating or review on Apple podcasts. That's where a lot of people go to find new shows or whatever podcatcher you listen to. Uh, Tell your friends about this show. If you and your buddies are excited about Cyberpunk 2077 coming out or you are into the tabletop RPG and you want to give them a little bit more background on the world, some insight around the character classes and the other things that I've been discussing and all the things that I will eventually get to because there is a ton of really cool information to discuss coming up, then recommend the show to them. And if you are interested in supporting me in more direct ways, then I I promise I will have a Patreon up sometime soon. There's a lot of other things going on, and that just hasn't been one of my biggest priorities. But I will get that set up sometime soon. I will let you know when that's up and available, and you'll be able to support the podcast directly. And in the meantime, you can also help support the show by visiting our sponsor, Loot Crate, who sponsors all of the different podcasts on the robots radio network if you don't know what loot crate is then click the link underneath the show notes or in the show notes and go to lootcrate.com. check out the different crates they have full of all sorts of cool video games and all sorts of cool things comic books and what you do is you basically sign up for a crate you get a regular delivery of a bunch of cool stuff for way less than it actually costs if you bought each of the items individually so you get things like cool posters and items to put on the wall, little figurines, t-shirts, all sorts of really cool swag types of stuff. And I've used Loot Crate for a while myself, and I absolutely love getting a pack of new stuff every month that I can use to decorate my office or take to work with me and put in my my work office so people come by my desk and they're like, what's this little guy? <laughs> um, but it's it's really cool. So check out the the link in the show notes. You have to use the link in the show notes in order for me to get credit on this show. So they know you came from the cyberpunk Lorecast, and use the code robots radio at checkout. That's R O B O T S R A D I O. So go check that out. Otherwise I'm also creating videos on the robots radio YouTube. So go check that out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And recently I've, I've been adding some of the slang to the end of some of the most recent episodes and On the YouTube page, I've actually gone through and created, I think there's going to be five episodes of all the different slang that I can find for cyberpunk to get you ready to to really get into the world and understand what people are talking about when they use certain phrases. And man, there's a lot of really good phrases out there. So I've done videos on that. I've done I've done a recent video on the. Uh, delay, like I mentioned before. So go check out Robots Radio on YouTube. There's also a link in the show notes for that. So there's all sorts of fun ways for you to plug in. There's also Cyberpunk Lorecast on Twitter. You can just search Cyberpunk Lorecast. It'll come up for Twitter. And you're absolutely welcome to join us on the Robots Radio Discord, where we have almost 900 people talking about Cyberpunk and other games like Fallout and Elder Scrolls and all sorts of other stuff that we're doing on the network. So Come join me, send me messages. I love to hear from you guys. And now we're going to get on with the rest of this episode. So the net was dead. It was destroyed, but it wasn't gone. 
over the next few years, there are individuals who we will call NetWatch runners who try to excavate the old net. Let's just call it that. They they would get into the remnants of the old net through abandoned gateways. And what they found there was absolute chaos, mutated versions of rabbits and other code creations savagely battling each other for memory space and bits of code. And it was so dangerous that the fourth attempt almost wiped out a 20 runner expedition. And then Netwatch gave up on that and decided they would abandon Netspace to the rabbits. So within a few years, the data pools were established and the net became only a memory to everyone except for a few determined data runners who still to this day try to sneak into the ruins to recover bits of data. But that wasn't exactly the end of all of this. It was the end of the net as we knew it. But there was what it says here is a a, a nasty sidebar. And I'll just read it to you. It says, quote, In the early days of the data crash, Arisaka Security realized what was going on and decided that if anyone was going to control history, they were going to be the ones. So the wily Saburo Arisaka set up his own secure database removed from the net entirely and spent millions of dollars to isolate and purge all traces of alteration. The Alpha Secure Database is what it was called, and it was located in the base of the newly constructed Arisaka Towers in Night City. And of course, it was protected by guards, encryptions, and nano-based constructs. And on top of that, there was a two kiloton nuclear device set to wipe out the towers if the security was breached. Now, this had a staggering 20 years of Arasaka intelligence stored, and this was the only set of data crash-free computers in existence. Nobody else had any systems that had been removed from the net and not affected by the data crash. This database was separate. And it says here that it would have given Arasaka an almost unshakable grip on the next phase of the information age. And on top of that, that wasn't it. On top of that, Arisaka designed a, they, they bioengineered a virus because the net wasn't the only place where information was stored. We're so used to thinking about technology that by this point in the history, they realized that there were still books, there were still papers, there were still documents in the world that contained information that could be used to double-check any information about history that they disagreed with. So, this bioengineered virus attacked paper and particularly acid-free papers that had been steadily replacing the older acid-based papers used previous to the 1970s. So any hard copy, books, papers, notes, began to disintegrate. They effectively wiped 
out history and not just history, but information. If you can destroy the information that everyone else has and you contain all of the information in your own databases, then you become infinitely more powerful than everyone else. And so they thought they secured their grip on history, their control of the future. Can you imagine the amount of control, the amount of power, the amount of money that that would give you? Can you imagine all of that information in only a few hands? Arbiters of knowledge who could decide who to give that information to and when and at what price. A company like that would lord over the entire world. But of course, that's not the end of the story. And this is when certain other individuals who might sound familiar to you step in. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about Morgan Blackhand and Johnny Silverhand. And you may have a guess as to what happens here, but you're just going to have to wait to find out. All right, cyberpunks, thanks for tuning in again. I will talk to you again on the next episode and have a good week. Stay safe in Night City and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Cyberpunk Lorecast. This show is a part of the Robots Radio Network, smart podcasts for interesting people. If you'd like to help support the show, please tell a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to get in contact, please send an email to cyberpunklorecast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at cyberpunklore. Also, join the community on the Robots Radio Discord. The link is in the show notes. The music on the show was written and performed by The Midnight and was used with their permission. Go check them out at themidnightofficial.com. Until next time, stay safe in Night City. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know play D&D and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Amarin. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2 coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. How well do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. 
or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue, and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller.